Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, episode 12. I think that's right, Mike, 12? Yeah, cool. sounds all right. So this is a little bit different. Usually we tackle just the NBA. You're an NBA guy. I love the NBA, but we really like basketball a lot in general. And what better time of year to uh, introduce our guest calling in from Chicago, live uh, from, I believe, uh, where he's been covering the McDonald's All-American game. We have Ricky O'Donnell uh, on the line, who is the College Hoops editor for SB Nation. He's also an NBA contributor. And uh, well, we're really happy to have Ricky on here because I read a lot of his content. He's basically the, the foremost uh, connoisseur of all things college basketball, high school basketball. And what better time to talk about leading into the draft, talk about the NCAA tournament than now. So, Ricky, can you hear us, buddy? Are you calling in? Are you good to go? Can you hear us? Yeah, how are you guys? We're doing great. Uh, thanks for joining the call. Uh, it definitely pains me to talk about college basketball <laughs> on this show. But uh, it's been a fun tournament, you know. We, I like how there've been a couple upsets, but at the end of the day, we've got I would say three of the best teams. We have Michigan State crashing the party as they usually do, you know, death taxes, Tom Izzo, all that stuff. <laughs> That's uh, reference one. <laughs> but uh, it's been a fun tournament. You have a lot of top prospects still playing, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about some of those guys. And the number one thing that everybody's been talking about, of course, is the. Uh, Carl Towns and Jalil Okafor, who could play in a regional final, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, so Ricky, I I think the best way to do this, man, is that you seem to be the <clears throat> the expert. You are the expert. We had a piece on SB Nation today, written by Kevin O'Connor, uh, who kind of talked about exposing the flaws of Okafor. He kind of uh, we we all know the offensive gifts this guy's been given and the way he plays on the offensive end but a lot of the defensive flaws were noted and then his overall uh, maybe the the urge the emphasis he puts on the hustle parts of the game how hard he plays were kind of called into question so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on before we even get into the uh, just Okafor versus Towns but what you've seen so far in the tournament and then we'll kind of circle back to this uh, Kevin O'Connor piece and we'll get into those those matchups but before we even do that can you tell us what your thoughts are as we sit right here with the Final Four coming at us on the tournament so far? Surprises, things that you've noticed that maybe the common guy like Mike uh, wouldn't be picking up on. Uh, so surprises of the tournament? Well, I think that there's, there's been a few guys, uh, if we're talking strictly from a, a focus of draft stock, who have really helped out uh, their draft stock with strong play in this tournament. Uh, I think the first guy who really jumps out is probably Sam Decker, the junior wing on Wisconsin. Uh, he was a guy who everyone's been waiting for him to bust out, even at the beginning of this year. Uh, he was a guy who basically coming into this season, he had an amazing summer at LeBron's camp, Kevin Durant's camp. Uh, he was widely recognized as like the most dominant player at LeBron's camp, and everyone thought that you know this could be a guy who could be a first-team All-American. Uh, he came into the year, and he had an ankle injury uh, in November, I believe, maybe early December. And it sort of stopped his consistency a little bit. I mean, he was still Wisconsin's second-best player behind Kaminsky. Uh, but if you look at his season stats, he really only averaged one point more a game than he did last season. Uh, and he, you know, he didn't hit his career high, which was uh, it was 23 points. He set a career high against North Carolina, and then hmm. set it again with 27 against Arizona. Like these last two games that everyone's watched Sam Decker, those are the best two games he's ever played. Really, <laughs> yeah. however. He, He's always had that potential. Uh, he was a guy you just look at his frame and his skill set. He's six foot nine. He grew two inches over the summer. Uh, mm-hmm. That was sort of the other big story around him coming into this year. 
And he's got, he can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot it from deep, even though he's not a great three-point shooter. I want to say he only hit about 31% this year. But he just has the look of an NBA wing. Uh, and it's not something you typically expect from Wisconsin, because Wisconsin's a program mostly known for doing more with less. They're, got, they're you know, the team that turns Frank Kaminsky from a three-star recruit into the you know, National Player of the Year. Uh, Decker's always had this pedigree, though. If you go back and look, I believe he was a top 28 recruit uh, coming into college, this guy who's always had this potential, and it's just really great to see him put it together on the biggest stage the last two games, uh, you know, in the Sweet 16 against North Carolina, and then just taking over down the stretch against Arizona in the Elite Eight. Totally. So I, question for you. So then would he be someone who could be drafted as high as what? Like maybe a top 10 pick? Is he someone who gets into that fringe 10-11 area, or is he more of like a, I don't know, 20 to 15 in that range type pick? It's funny because, uh, you know, before the elite game even ended, Draft Express updated their mock draft, and they're like, well, we bumped up Sam Decker a few spots. I want to say they bumped him from, like, 22 to 16 or something like that, which is pretty significant how long game. I was kind of laughing at that, but I certainly believe that he's he's capable of being, you know, a potential late lottery pick. A lot of it's going to come down to fit, and I really think that, you know, this, this class sort of drops off, this draft class sort of drops off after the top 10. I think, you know, a lot of it is going to depend on how people see uh, the international guys, Mario Hazinga, uh, Chris Stapps. So, you know, how those guys... How do you say up? Chris Stapps' last name? Pop quiz. You know, I didn't say it because I'm not sure. I'm a blogger, man. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> wow. Oh, what really a cop no, 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 no. You I have to, to say it. You have to say it or the show ends. <laughs> Chris Stapps. Porzingis, I want to say. I think that's right. I think Porzingis works. I think that's right. Yeah, I was going to have Prey to take a stab at that, which is ultimately all we're trying to do here is get Prey to pronounce those uh, P and Z sounding foreign players. Um, So in the NBA, to put a little knot or a little little bow on on Sam Decker, is he a three or a four? Yeah, I think that's the nice thing. Like, at this point, does it really matter in the NBA? Like, I think that that versatility is what sort of makes him special. He's got the frame at 6'9", I want to say about 230 pounds now, Mm -hmm. uh, where he can for sure handle some spot minutes at the four, I think. Especially, you know, if if we're in an NBA where Harrison Barnes is getting minutes at the four in the playoffs two years ago for the Warriors, uh, and, you know, if it's really just downsizing like that, there's no reason that Sam Decker uh, couldn't hold down minutes at the four. I think his natural position will probably be the three, but... You know, with the, the way the game's moving, there's an added emphasis on speed. There's lots of an emphasis on uh, post players and size. So, uh, back to the basket scoring, I should say. I think that Decker offers a lot of versatility, and that's one of the things that's intriguing about him. Well, the nice thing about him playing the four is that his shooting will be less of a problem. Uh, that's He's only shot, you know, he said, 31% coming into those games. He hit some, I thought, ridiculous shots yeah, he did. in that game. I mean, All, Wisconsin as a team hit a bunch of ridiculous yeah. shots. I almost think Arizona outplayed them but just didn't hit enough shots. I, I always come back to this, and, and Rick, you tell me if you agree. Sean Miller is a tremendous coach, and it feels like up into a certain point each season. But then he has that one game where he gets outcoached. This wasn't necessarily about being outcoached. It was being outperformed on the court team versus team. But I'll say this, Sean Miller didn't make any adjustments 
uh, in game. I think you need to put a different player on on a guy like Decker almost every time down the court. Rondé Hollis Jefferson was having too much trouble um, because I think part of what Hollis Jefferson got accustomed to was banging down low and being the rebounding force um, in that game. And then that kind of translated to when he had to get out on the perimeter. He was letting Decker get a little too much space, even if it was a foot, just that little bit of space on a heat check type player. Uh, was too much. Yeah, but if he's a 31% three-point shooter normally, I mean, if he beats you shooting threes, you kind of have to tip your cap. Sure. I, I'm curious, you know, it, he put out a – he whipped out a sham god dribble at one point, I he believe, did. in that game. I mean, I don't know if he's a four. I think he might be more of a three. And, I, you know, I, I think the difference is, is kind of interesting. I mean, obviously players can swing up on certain systems. Uh, you know, is he a good rebounder? I mean, I'm not so sure. Uh, looks like he averaged about five and a half a game. Yeah. Uh, so he's okay, but it seems like that's a guy you maybe want handling the ball a little more. Whereas some an offense like Wisconsin, where it's just kind of such a slow pace, you know, swing the ball around. There aren't a lot of ball screens in that offense. Am I correct? I mean, it's kind of the swing offense, kind of. Yeah, I mean, the they tr- work a lot through the post. They run a lot yeah. of kind of weak side motion, but. If he has a chance to play on the ball a little more, maybe he looks a little better. So, you know, real, real quick on that. I know that um, the guys in the studio had asked Bo Ryan when they were interviewing him in between games uh, after they'd already won. They said, you know, you guys are known for your, your defense and your slow pace. And, and Bo Ryan kind of got offended, a little taken aback and said, you know, two tournaments or two of the last three tournaments, we've been the most efficient offense. Yeah, our defense is, is really strong, but... You know, when they need to score, they are. They're yeah, beating no. teams with high-octane. I mean, Arizona put up 90-plus points in their first game and is a very good offense. And they kind of made them look a little pedestrian. But I hate, I hate going and referencing that game because Wisconsin hit just an, an inordinate amount of threes. And that was a little bit out of the, the ordinary. But to get back to this, Ricky, so uh, Sam Decker was one of the guys who helped his draft stock. Can you give me a couple of maybe two other guys who you think who you think or you saw go from maybe a late first round pick or something in the second round to really improving their draft stock? Yeah, I think uh, Justice Winslow for sure. Just in the fact that Duke had this big tournament run and uh, he played fantastic when they got to the Sweet 16. His hometown of Houston, he really dominated that game against Utah, and Utah was giving Duke everything they could handle. Uh, the trump card is that Utah did not have a player like Justice Winslow. Uh, you know, you look at Justice Winslow, and it's just hard not to think about Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler and types of wings like that. He's so strong. He's so uh, well-balanced. He impacts the game on both ends, and he just seems to never get tired. Uh, he's one of those guys that I think coming into college, a lot of people didn't think that he would be a capable shooter. Well, against Utah in the Sweet 15, he hit three of four, three-pointers. He knocked down mm-hmm. a couple threes against Gonzaga. And for the year, he's like pretty well over 40%, I believe. He's at 41 or 42. 41%, uh, he's, yep. He's just a terrific player. And he's a guy who impacts my favorite type of player in a sense. Because he impacts the game without the ball in his head. Uh, as someone who's born and raised in Chicago, I've watched every game of Jimmy Butler's career. And just from the first time I saw Winslow at the McDonald's game last year, I thought that you know he really could be similar to that because he's so good at working the angles off cuts. Uh, he can defend without fouling, which is huge. And he's just really athletic. When he gets the ball in transition, he's a freight train. So uh, I think that he's been good the entire season. But this tournament, I think, especially the last two games, really opened people's eyes to the fact that, you know, I don't know if he's going to go ahead of D'Angelo Russell or Julio Lafour or anyone like that. But he's a legit top five, top ten pick. Uh, and I think that's pretty cemented at this point. Yeah, I mean, you said Jimmy Butler. That's the vibe I got from watching him. He's not, I wouldn't say especially 
explosive as much as he's kind of just rugged and bounces off guys. I mean, he draws, uh, he shoots, let me look at how many free throws a game he shoots. He shoots five free throws for 40 minutes. And that's when he's not the guy that's running the offense most of the time. Jimmy Beller just kind of works his way to the line. I, You know, the other thing I think is cool about Winslow, he's left-handed. Yeah. And I think that's a big deal. And Gonzaga seemed to forget that he was left-handed. You know, it seemed down the stretch. And it's hard to guard lefties. Yeah, no, it's uh, – Ricky, last year I went to the Jordan Brand Classic um, All-American game, similar to, the, you know, your McDonald's All-American game just here in Brooklyn. And the matchup I was really interested in was uh, Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow as that game was going on. You know, there were all kinds of other good matchups, but I looked at both of them as physically NBA-ready 18-year-olds. They both looked so strong and kind of had that, like, you know, already the bravada of an NBA player and the shoulders and muscle, you know, muscular structure, if you will. But I think one of the things that, and I'll say this, Stanley Johnson's on my three players who kind of hurt their draft stock. I think he looked a little bit less ready and kind of as the spotlight got bigger, he shrunk a little bit. He kind of had a little bit of his limited game exposed, which he's not a super athlete. He's not a tremendous shooter. He kind of takes bad shot selection at this point too. Uh, And Arizona needed more from him. And Duke needed that same amount from Justice Winslow, and he gave it to him. He kind of went over and above, and that's why I also had him down here, along with Sam Decker, as two guys who thoroughly helped their draft stock. And I think the one thing with Winslow uh, as well, as, and, and Mike kind of hinted on it, he, he has that left-handed, I don't know, bring the ball down to your knee, get the foul, similar to Harden. Like, he's very crafty. He plays well above his you know 19-year-old age. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for playing under Coach K, who has that awareness of of sort of maybe if you have a guy who's NBA ready, what things do we need to tinker with to get him to that next level? Where I'm not necessarily sure uh, that that's what's happening in Arizona with with Stanley Johnson. So um, I think those are some good players right there for players who have helped their draft stock. Tell me about a couple guys who you watched, you know, you followed them all year, uh, but this tournament has kind of shown you that maybe they're a little further away than you thought. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's a tough question because, like, did – Kevon Looney hurt his draft stock over these last three games when uh, UCLA went to, you know, went on an extremely improbable run to the Sweet 16. He was one guy I had down. Another guy I had down was Kelly Oubre. Uh, Oubre's just been a tough guy for me to get a read on the entire year, honestly. Like, he has the tools to do it. There's no doubt about it. He has dunk contest athleticism. He has such a pure three-point stroke. Uh, I remember seeing him at the McDonald's game last year, and Man, he just seems like he can rain threes. But, uh, you know, there was a lot going on in Kansas this year. Oubre didn't even really play until, uh, you know, basically the start of the conference season. But everyone thought he was just sort of going to come in and inherit Wiggins' role. He only played 20 minutes a game. Uh, and he mm-hmm. hit, you know, 35% from three. But he was never really dominant to me. So he's a guy who, you know, I think that coming into this season, everyone sort of assumed that, you know, there's no better place for Cliff Alexander and Kelly Oubre to go than Kansas because Bill Self has such a strong reputation of turning players into first-round picks. I think maybe the problem with Oubre and uh, Alexander is that they might have gotten a little too big for their own head. Uh, You know, I don't don't want to criticize them for that, really. If anything, I think Self should have given them a longer leash just to let their talent play through. You know, Bill Self's playing Jamari trailer over Cliff Alexander. Like, give me a break. Landon Lucas over Cliff Alexander. That's a (laughs) a joke. You're actively hurting your team for doing that. Uh, And and Oubre was similar in a sense where, you know, it never seemed like Self really trusted him. He would make one defensive mistake 
one poor rotation, and then he's on the bench for five, six minutes at a time. Uh, I mean, Bill Self is an amazing coach. He has a great track record. Who am I to sit here and argue with the way he's going <laughs> to try to develop these guys? But uh, I don't think that Uber or Alexander had the college experience they were hoping to have. And, you know, uh, Uber just didn't look good against Wichita State. Like, I hate to say it, but that is a game that, so what's the difference between Wichita State and Kansas? The difference is that Kansas can get a player like Kelly Ubre, a player like yeah, Cliff right. Alexander. Wichita State isn't going to get McDonald's All-Americans. They're not going to get top 15 national recruits. They're not going to get a player like Ubre, who's 6'7", has a 40-inch vertical, and can rain three-pointers. Right. But for whatever yeah. reason, it didn't seem like Kansas could leverage those physical advantages against Wichita. You watched that game, and I was like, well, Wichita's backcourt's better. Their big yeah. men aren't. Their big, their big men aren't holding their own, at least. Uh, and you know, it just didn't seem like. Well, of course, Alexander was out, but it didn't sure. seem like Ubre was able to really uh, take advantage of what should have been a favorable matchup uh, against Teal Cotton for him. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a Xavier Henry vibe to me. Lefty, you're just, uh, you're just playing I'm, the lefty I'm, Kansas. I am totally lazy with that comparison. Well, so, uh, but 100. percent Does that make him better prospects? Because because they, of left-handed, you're saying? No, because Bill Self, because they didn't really fit. I get Miles. This is kind of similar to Miles Turner too, to me. You know, he didn't really fit on his college team, and so people are going to downgrade him. Right. But maybe on a different team with uh, less talent, with that different coach that will use him differently, right. will suddenly be a lot better. Well, I, I I think one of the things that's important to note here too is that Cliff Alexander last year was thought of as you know right in that same Towns and and Okafor mold, like one of the three best big men in the country. You know, uh, he was a lot of hype around him in all the All American games. I know, I mean, from the game I went to, um, like I was saying, he was one of the better players in the game. And I think there was an expectation, especially in the mock drafts uh, last year, looking forward to to next year, that he was going to be a top five pick. Where, where does Cliff Alexander go, or does he just go back to Lawrence for another year, Ricky? What's what's his what's his next move? You know that's my boy, right? I've been watching Cliff for a long time. I saw the Chicago Great. State Championship game between Jaleel's Whitney Young team, Cliff Curie team. Curie wins the game, and the day after the I the you know the IHSA, basically the the organization that runs high school sports in Illinois wiped off all of their wins off the books, and they <laughs> retroactively gave the title. To, Jaleel and Whitney Young, it's like, what are you doing? Uh, but, you know, I can't, I don't think that Cliff can go back to Kansas. There's no way. Basically, he was suspended because his family more or less took money from an NBA agent, or that's the allegation. Uh, and it's just my opinion that, like, I don't think Cliff's a bad guy. Sort of the uh, narrative around Cliff and Jaleel when they were in the high school scene the last couple of years in Chicago was that Jaleel's the choir boy and that Cliff uh, wasn't. He was sort of the opposite of that. He he had a big ego. He really played up his recruitment on social media to a hilarious extent. Uh, but I, I don't think Cliff's a bad kid. What I think is that anyone who came from the situation Cliff Alexander was in uh, on the come-up, if the NCAA is really going to poke into that, they're going to find something on everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's not that much of a secret that these dudes are getting money from a lot of different places if they had their hand out, if they want it. Uh, sure. You look at, I mean, Jalen Brown, who uh, is yeah. the number two player in this next class, uh, he basically said straight up in an interview this week that he will only go to an Adidas school. It's not a coincidence because who do you think has been helping, uh, you know, build him up into this great prospect? Who do you think funds his AAU team who 
five jerseys for his high school team. I'm not saying that Jalen Brown has his hand out for money from the Adidas school or that Adidas is, you know, doing some yeah. under-the-table dealings with him here. But it's not a coincidence. There's no look way. at look at uh, look at Prada's boy here, uh, Diamond Stone. I believe he is an Under Armour man. He's now my boy because because he's, he's going to Maryland. He's going to Maryland. He, I think he went Under Armour to to Under Armour. If, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. AAU took to college. That uh, I now, mean, this I'll, is why finally Maryland having the school, the shoe company that has like 05 percent of the market share has paid off. It's the right point five. <laughs> it's the right point five. But I mean, that, I think you made a, you make a good point there. Is that you know, if the hand is out, there will be money to be placed inside of it. I mean, the 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 top recruits in this current draft, and we'll get into the McDonald's All Americans that you're watching, uh, and sort of the the next round of prospects that we'll be talking about <clears throat> this time next year. But before we do that. I want to do two more things around this tournament. Uh, number one, I want to get your predictions real quick. Then we'll get back to players. Can you tell me who you think is going to win in the Final Four and then the championship? Are you a Kentucky guy all the way? Or do you see there being a team in there that can win? Yeah, you know, I got to go Kentucky all the way. I think that a lot of people believe that Wisconsin matches up with Kentucky better than any team in the country. They thought that the entire season. Well, I hate to say it, but they played last year, and Kentucky <laughs> didn't have their best player, Cauley Stein. Frank Kaminsky's going to win player of the year. Uh, Frank Kaminsky's had an amazing season. But let's not forget that when these teams played in the Final Four last season, Cauley Stein's backups just washed Kaminsky. They <laughs> held him to seven shots, eight points. That was Jakari yeah. Johnson and Marcus Lee, who were McDonald's All-Americans, who are really big and talented players. Uh, but they're definitely not as good as Willie Cauley Stein. Willie Cauley Stein's a straight-up freak. And having yeah, him yeah. against... Having him against Kaminsky, you look at the Elite Eight game between Arizona and Wisconsin, a lot of the way Kaminsky was dominating that game in the first half, I thought was getting his offense one-on-one against Caleb Tarzuski. Tarzuski just wasn't quick enough. Uh, and Kaminsky, he, I hate to say the word deceptively quick, but he is quicker than you think he is. He's been <laughs> able to take Caleb Tarzuski off the three-point line, off the dribble, and get into the cup like possession after possession as he was doing in that Elite Eight game. Uh, good luck trying to do that against Willie Cauley-Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein is swallow you up. If you're yeah, trying to get your yeah. offense one-on-one against him in the wing, I hate to break it to you, Frank. It's not going to work out for you. <laughs> uh, so I, I got I got to go Kentucky here. I do think Wisconsin has a chance that they really rain three-pointers. Sam mm-hmm. Becker has a deal with the devil right now where he's hitting fadeaway, <laughs> one-footed, falling-out-of-bound threes. Yeah. If Ben Decker keeps shooting like that, he's really the trump card. This is going to be the first game that I think Kentucky's really going to miss Alex Poitras. Because who yeah. guards Decker? I look at this roster, and I don't know who they're going to stick on Who they're going to stick on Decker whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I think it's funny. I think, Ricky, I really think they're going to put one of the one of the Harrison twins on him first. Put a guard on him and say, hey, if you really want to test in the paint and try to get past that guard, go for it. There's plenty of length there to kind of be like the uh, the warning once you get into the paint. I think they're going to put small on him first because they put size on Decker. I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson was on him for most of the second half. Well, I think I think Hollis Jefferson guarded uh, Kaminsky, on Kaminsky, right? They put, okay, they, they switched him off. Johnson, on Stanley Decker. Johnson had some foul trouble, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, By the way, Kaminsky, there's no. Why is Kaminsky a lottery pick? Is, is am he I am I crazy pick? about he's number ten on Draft Express? I mean, am I just like doing the whole like automatically devaluing the like kind of four year senior guy the and not realizing that there's something to be said for his NBA ability or, or am I is he just the next McDermott and uh, you know Tansbro and one of those guys like how is he ranked higher? 
I think it's nuts that he's a higher, potentially a higher draft pick than Miles Turner. Well, that that's just, I don't think the NBA teams see that. Do you agree with me, Ricky? <laughs> I could not agree more with you, Mike. And I love Kaminsky. When I was working in high school sports five years ago uh, as a newspaper in Chicago, he was like one of the guys I covered. Super nice kid, got so much better every year, which is what's so great about him. But the fact that he's if he's rated ahead of Miles Turner, like that is just a joke to me, to be honest. I think yeah. that Kaminsky could be good. The thing he has going for him is he has a decidedly modern game for the NBA. He's a guy who could potentially hit forty percent of his three pointers. Uh, but you know, he when they played uh, Duke early in the season, that was a game that Tyus Jones really took over. But early in that game, Kaminsky just could not defend Okafor to save his life. Uh, no one can really defend Oko for one-on-one, except for, I guess, Jacob Pertle at this point. But, uh, you know, I, I think Kaminsky can... Jakob, I'm sorry. He can <laughs> carve out a good niche in the NBA. If he's going to be the 10th pick, I think that that's a major reach. But I, I, I do see him having a long career. Uh, I don't see why he would be a high lottery pick. Though. Yeah, it just seems to me that people don't grasp that the leagues are different. Right, yeah. and, and Prater, you mentioned earlier, you said, uh, was it Payne from Michigan State? You see a little bit of that kind of in, in Kaminsky? Yeah, I mean, that's the best-case scenario, I think. I mean, otherwise, because he's not going to be able to play five in the NBA, no, no, I don't no. think. And he is he fast enough to guard fours? I, I mean, it, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe he is, I mean, I, in the right matchups. But, I, but yeah, I, I, think, I don't see it. But Ricky said it earlier, too, and I, and I agree with that sentiment, which is that you know positions one, two, three, four, and five are, are, are much more nebulous now. And so I think, I think there's Kaminsky a difference a, between four and five, though. Sure, in a lot sure, of ways. sure. But I think there's definitely like if Ryan Kelly is playing in the NBA, and granted, like that's worst case scenario for Kaminsky, but he could be a, a, a Spencer Hawes type guy. I mean, I hate to do like doofy seven foot white guy comparison, but that type of player um, is where I see him kind of falling in. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe like uh, I'm trying to think of who could possibly be like you know maybe like kind of- Chandler Parsons. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. We've anyway, let, let's talk about Okafor <laughs> and Towns. Uh, you know, yeah, I want to. I want to bring the, players, the player comparisons. I want to bring up, um, but we do have to save some time because I want to talk about Russell. Um, but yeah, but Okafor, Kevin O'Connor wrote this piece today, uh, kind of arguing that in the two games that Okafor has played against big men like him, uh, the Utah guys, the Gonzaga guys, he has really his lack of activity has kind of been a little exposed. And you know, and that's a concern because you know there are no six six big men in the NBA. I mean, there are no San Diego States in the NBA. Right. So, do you did you agree with what Kevin said? Yeah, I did. I honestly don't think Julio Okafor is a very hard player to scout. I know that now it seems like his draft status is going up, it's going down. What's happening? He's been the same guy for for the entire time I've ever watched. Really. When was uh, the first time you saw him play? How old was he? Uh, when he was a junior in high school. He's from my part of the world. He went to Whitney Young High School. It's very close to me. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I do agree with what uh, Kevin said. The one thing is that, you know, Jaleel's defense up to this point in his career, every level he's ever played, first of all, he's eight every test he's ever had. No matter what level he's playing at, he was the youngest player on Team USA's U17 team two years ago and had like a 72 PER. Like he dominated that tournament as the only high school, <laughs> him and Winslow were the only two high school players uh, in the entire tournament with like Marcus Smart and Alfred Payton and those dudes. He's always been the best player. He's a great scorer. Um, you know, defensively, I think what is going to hamper him down is that he's always defended not to foul. And it just makes sense because he's always been the focal point of his team's offense. 
I think you saw it a little bit in the last two games against Gonzaga and against Utah as well. Uh, he picked up a couple early fouls against Utah, and the college refs are just miserable, too. Yeah, Basically, don't... if Julio ever backs someone down, the defender can take an easy flop and get in for an offensive foul. So, yeah, and, and, uh, then, and then you're one-fifth of the way to not playing, which is just ridiculous. But, but Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. We, don't, we could spend another whole podcast talking about officiating and, and, and five fouls and all of that. Yeah, that's a good point, you though. Make I mean, a good point, for sure. You do talk about a lot of big-man prospects that go through that in mm-hmm. lower levels, and then they get to the NBA. And, you know, playing defense in the NBA is very different you know, I, than playing defense in college. You know, you have more space and if you go and certainly teams build their schemes around their big guys so you have a team like charlotte that just doesn't ask al jefferson to do much you have a team like indiana that plants hibbert near the basket they could look at okafor and they could say you know you don't have to worry about fouling out anymore you get six fouls and we'll protect you we've got great wings that can kind of keep people away from you your job is to just protect the rim and be aggressive when you do you know you have seen players like that play better defense in the pros yeah, I think. Well, I mean, Ricky. So one of the knocks uh, to kind of elaborate a little further on 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 Kevin's piece is that you know lateral movement, explosiveness, things that kind of lend themselves to MB, the NBA game. Uh, you know, uh, second jump, all those types of things that Okafor doesn't have. But when you're focusing on things someone doesn't have, you're not focusing on all the things he does do. Right, like his ridiculous hands, touch around the rim, using both hands surprisingly good ball handler considering the ball looks like a a tennis ball in his hand but I think the more that you watch and this is a Duke thing this is a Kentucky thing these guys are on television 25 times this year the the overexposure you start to nitpick you want something to have a flaw because he is a tremendous like you said 18 year old 19 year old who's been great at every level so I think you kind of overanalyze not you but in general one overanalyzes uh, sort of trying to find the flaws in these guys if I'm, if you are the GM of, I don't know if it's the Sixers or the Knicks, whoever's picking first, say that fit doesn't matter and you're picking strictly uh, for the best player. I want to do three player comparisons now, Ricky. Do you pick Okafor or do you pick Towns? That's comparison one. Who is your top player of those two? There's no doubt it's Towns. Towns is he has a chance to be really, <laughs> really special. I think uh, Okafor is a good player, but you know it's. it's it's not a mystery that his game is being described as throwback in a sense because, like, the NBA is moving away from low post scoring being your primary offensive option. It's just not a super efficient shot. Uh, and, you know, at this point, like, if I'm an NBA uh, GM, it would be really tough for me to take a center who I didn't think could be a plus defender at number one hmm. overall. With Okafor, you're just praying he can get to be average defensively. Uh, And I think that out of the center position, defense is more important than offense. Like in the modern NBA, give me Rudy Gobert over Nikola Vucevic. Uh, I I mean, (laughs) that's just my opinion. But I I would rather have defense out of that position uh, than offense. Towns is absurd. Like I think that we're not even seeing the full Carl Towns package whatsoever. When he was on the circuit two years ago, Everyone thought he was a wimp because he would not get in the low post. All he would do is shoot threes. They'd say, oh, he's a good three-point shooter, but he's 235 pounds. He's got to get in the low post. This dude is right. probably going to be a 40% three-point shooter. Like He's going to be dominant on both ends yeah. of the floor, I really think. Now, he's so young. 
uh, just because of the way Kentucky was set up this year, he didn't get to show really the full arsenal. He's only playing 21 minutes a game, which is a crime against basketball, to be honest. And Carl Townsend is playing only <laughs> half the game. Uh, but I don't know. I think that he has just unbelievable potential. Uh, and that's a no-brainer to me, Towns over Okafor. I love Julio. He's my Chicago homeboy, but I'm sorry. He's not the first pick. Well, it's it's funny. The, the shooting is something that just sticks out to me too. Uh, Towns is a guy who shoots above eighty percent from the free throw line. That's a that's a, a super important stat for a guy who's going to be making money where the contact is. And Okafor is shooting right around fifty percent. And that we've learned this. I mean, time and time again in the NBA, you have big men who you want on the court for their defensive prowess, and then or, or even their offensive ability outside of their free throw abilities. And it it is a detractor. What if Dwight Howard or Shaq? or 75% free throw shooters, let alone 80. What different direction to their careers, the minutes they, they get to play? I mean, Shaq, obviously. To be unstoppable. Shaq did fine. But that's what I'm saying. Towns kind of has, I think, that that the seven-foot center body, seven-four wingspan, crazy standing reach of like nine-five, but stretch four game. And that's, uh, that's pretty rare. And I agree with you, uh, Ricky, completely. The more I've watched Towns, the more that Calipari has allowed for his players to get the exposure. He does such a good job of keeping his commodities unknown. I would love to be a fly on the wall for a Kentucky practice for like a week and just see how they battle. I'd imagine it's like a, a lower level dream team type thing in the early 90s where these guys, the practices were way better than the actual Olympics. Yeah. You know, and I mean, a guy like Marcus Lee is not going to, he'll probably come back next year for his junior or senior year, junior year. And, uh, junior. Junior, yeah, right. And, and, and he'll be one of the, the bigger, better big men in the country next year, maybe next to Scal Labissier, whoever you pronounce his name, um, if he gets to go to Kentucky, the freshman. Yeah, I, uh, I think Lee's freshman. an NBA player. Yeah. I think Lee can do what do Brandon too. Wright does. Uh, yeah. But what's weird about, what's interesting about Towns is that, you know, on the one hand, you don't really get to see everything he does. On the other hand, I wonder if the talent around him, maybe you don't really know what he's bad at because – Anything that he could possibly be bad at, someone is compensating mm-hmm. for. I would be really interested in just a th- one them do like a Freaky Friday shift and just switch teams for the Final Four and see how they they would change. I mean, I wonder would Okafor's defense be less of a problem? Would he yeah. struggle it more? Would. It would. It'd be less of a problem because he'd have Cully Stein behind him. But would it be? But it also would it? Would he have trouble doing what he does because there's not enough space? Hmm. Whereas with Towns, you know, I mean, the the thing that I think makes Towns the best prospect is because he's the holy grail of the big, the seven foot big man that can shoot and protect the rim. Yeah, there's like two of those guys in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what Anthony Davis and Serge Ibaka. Is there anybody else in the league like that? No, Joel Embiid's not. And who's that? Oh, Bosh. Yes. Bosh. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you said Taj, which Taj Gibson's a nice player too. Yeah. Um, sorry, the Chicago reference for you there. We'll talk um, more about the Bulls later. But uh, the other guy, let, I want to get your opinion on Russell because I know he didn't have good numbers uh, against Ohio or against uh, Arizona, but man, his court vision is unbelievable. Yeah. So, so Ricky, before you even answer that. This is going to be your Moutier versus Russell comparison. We don't know much. Mike and I do not know much uh, about Emmanuel Moutier. I saw him play last year in the Brand Classic, the Jordan Brand Classic, and I have not really seen him play otherwise, although he was electric in that game. So Emmanuel Moutier versus, uh, versus D'Angelo Russell, Who who's the better NBA player moving forward? Yeah, long-term? moving forward. Uh, you know, I think that 
Russell might be secretly trash on defense. That's one thing you're going to have to worry about for him. He gets this you just James Harden. Oh, you're killing me now. Uh, he gets this James Harden comparison, which, like, you know, just the way he handles the ball, his drives to the rim are so exciting that uh, you can for sure see it. I also don't think he's as strong or athletic as Harden, and I don't know if he has the build to sort of. Uh, uh, to sort of add to that as the years go on. With that being said, D'Angelo Russell's mesmerizing. He's unbelievable. He's one of my favorite players to watch the entire college season. Uh, his versatility at the one or the two spot, I think, really gives him an edge over Moutier. And the other thing is, it's tough to take Moutier, a guy who's a project shooter, over Russell, who's probably going to hit 40% of his three-pointers uh, as soon as he walks into the league. If not that, he'll be, you know, 36, 37. He'll be a quality three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. Moutier is definitely a work in progress uh, shooting the ball. Now, Moutier has a much higher defensive ceiling. Moutier is a thoroughbred athlete. Uh, yeah. He's, he's going to be a great defender. I have almost no doubt about that. But I would take Russell uh, strictly for the sense that he is a brilliant passer. Uh, he's terrific at reading defenses. He can play the one or the two, which is nice. Even when he was on the AAU circuit, he was playing with Malik Newman. Uh, and they would sort of... Oh, Moody was playing with Newman, I should say. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Ru- Russell was always able to bounce between the one and the two. Uh, he did it with Shannon Scott this year at Ohio State. And I just think that, you know, he's the safer pick. There, there's not really a, a way that Russell isn't going to be like a quality NBA starter, I think. And then he can go much higher than that just because of... Uh, his vision and his skill set. Totally. So, so tell me then, what does Moutier, you said defensive uh, ceiling, uh, maybe overall athleticism, what else does he have, if anything, over Russell? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I would say he's more athletic for sure. Uh, Moutier mm-hmm. is a guy who has, he really does have like the John Wall, uh, I don't want to say Westbrook, Westbrook seems like he's from another planet, but you know, John Wall <laughs> level explosion where he has the first step and the leaping ability to just throw down hammer dunks on anyone. Uh, you know, yeah. Russell, for as terrific as he is, he's a little bit of a below-the-rim player, whereas Moody is just a straight-up power guard. He's going to bulldoze people uh, at any yeah. level he's at. You can watch the highlight clip when he's playing in the Chinese league, and it's sort of hilarious where he just puts his head down and he's just by everyone, <laughs> and, oh, look, he's right next to the rim. Uh, he. <laughs> He's similar to Stanley Johnson to me in the sense that he's not strong for an 18-year-old. He's strong for an adult human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that, you know, Moody is clearly more athletic. Uh, he's a guy who could be, like, you know, market-smart level uh, perimeter defender. Uh, that being said, I-, I think that he's a little bit careless with the ball from what I've seen of him. Obviously, there's not that much game film on him uh, compared to Russell here. Right. And I-, I would just take Russell just because of the shooting, the vision, the versatility. But, you know, they're both terrific prospects, and it's splitting hairs uh, in a sense. You're, you're a Sixers fan, Ben. Who yeah. do you want? Because uh, <laughs> they need a point guard. Yeah, no, no, we do. I, I Look, I really like D'Angelo Russell. We talked about this uh, earlier in the year. Huge fan of his game. Always prefer a left-handed player over a right-handed player. I think Hinky's mindset or state of mind, whatever it may be, uh, when the trading deadline came around was with Russell in mind, not Moutier. Um, but I, I'm really not sure who I want. I need to see more of Emmanuel Moutier. What I saw last year was such a great taste. I, I came away thinking like my notes from from watching him were like, uh, explosive beyond belief, different gear than everyone else on the court. That being said, it, it was an exhibition game, chucking up threes and, and taking bad shots, stuff that you really, you can't really quantify uh, for the long run. But I'll say this, I love 
drafts where there are guys who you can directly compare to each other being picked right next to each other. If this draft goes number one, Carl Towns, number two, Jaleel Okafor, number three, Emmanuel Moutier, and number four, Russell, I'll even take it a step further. Five, Justice Winslow, and then somewhere right behind him, Stanley Johnson. I would love to see those three sets of players compared from where the you know where they get picked, how their uh, careers progress, uh, and really kind of where they are now to what they become. Because I think we're all sort of in agreement. Carl Towns seems to be a, a special player for this 2015 NBA, and that Okafor is, like you said, Ricky, a bit of that throwback, back to the basket, beyond belief skill. I mean, in terms of when he puts his back into you, he can spin off of either shoulder, finish with either hand. Um, really like Okafor's game. And then these two guards. One is the the great known. And the other is the great unknown. I really like that. And then you have your two grown men, Justice Winslow and Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson. But the, the last comparison I wanted to get from you, because uh, this is this is Prada's favorite player in college basketball, uh, oh, Miles no. Turner. No, Miles Turner. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you mean Jake Lehman? We're not going to talk about Jake Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no Jake Lehman My talk. favorite player in college hoops is D'Angelo Russell. But okay, okay. All right. I, I just favorite. think that Miles Turner has been totally so, wasted. And, and I'm just kind of praying that he slides down to the Wizards at number 18. Well, so so that there it is, Ricky. It's Miles Turner. And the guy I want to put him against is, uh, is Willie Cauley-Stein. Which one of those guys is the better NBA prospect? It's interesting. Uh, I would say say Cauley Stein because I think that I'm an NBA center you'd rather have just like elite athleticism you look at someone who's seven foot and super athletic like Hassan Whiteside for example like you watch Hassan mm-hmm. Whiteside and you're like how, how do you miss on this guy how is this guy out of the NBA until he's 25 years old he's seven right. foot and he flies <laughs> yeah. uh, Willie Cauley Stein is seven foot and he flies like that's pretty much what it comes down to in modern NBA I'm not really sure if you need a center like Okafor, who you can just dump the ball into uh, in the low post. I'd rather have a guy who can make quality rim runs off the pick and roll, uh, a guy who can really move his feet great laterally. And I think that that's Cauley Stein. Turner is, you know, he got a lot of LaMarcus Aldridge comps coming in. Uh, it makes sense. They both went to Texas. They're both from Texas. Uh, they mm-hmm. both are pretty good outside shooters. I think, uh, you know, our friend Jonathan Sajark said this, and I really agree with it, that Turner's has a little more Roy Hibbert in him than he does uh, Marcus Aldridge, which I don't think a lot of people realize. For one, Turner's just not fast. You watch him, and that sort of, like, jumps off of the screen in a sense. Uh, he's I faster totally than, agree. He's faster than Okafor, I would say, uh, but he's not, like, he, he's not a great athlete uh, by any stretch. Right. I think he's going to be a five, not a four in the NBA. Um, but, you know, he blocks a ton of shots and he shoots a lot of threes. So I really like Turner. I'm, I'm glad to hear that Prater uh, likes him as well uh, because, <laughs> you know, that's just such a, sort of a strange combination, the three-point shooting, the shot blocking. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to be a guy who you dump the ball in the low post to either, but I do think that Miles Turner can be a starting center. It just might take him until he's, you know, maybe 22, 23. And unfortunately with draft prospects, uh, everyone's just so impatient. No one wants to give these yeah, guys right. a year, let alone a couple of years. So sure. well, that, that's going to be a big problem if he somehow slips to the Wizards because <laughs> they are super impatient. They uh, <laughs> still mad about the Noel thing. Well, it's uh, okay. But to me, it's just it's just a matter of the holy grail in this modern NBA, as I talked about earlier, is the shooter that can protect the rim. Yeah, there's like nobody in the league that can do that, and Miles Turner could do that. Yeah, and that's why that's a dude I would totally take a chance on. He was. On a college team that had 
senior big guy, like upperclassman big yeah, guy. Injured right? point guard most of the year would have been a lot help, a lot of help yeah. for him for sure. He's definitely, you know, they threw him put the ball down towards him and you know on the block, and he would try to go up and he would struggle to finish. Well, there's also the Rick Barnes factor. I'm sure you got you got to subtract thirty five percent of the person's overall ability. So that's that's important to note. Yeah. Whereas um, Cully Stein, <laughs> I don't see how he's ever going to be more of a than a diver to the basket. Very valuable player. Yeah. But I'm just saying that you know. Cauley Stein could be Tyson Chandler. Like Miles Turner could be, you know, the kind of player that the NBA just doesn't have. That might be a ceiling thing versus a realistic expectation thing. And no, it's it definitely either way. It's definitely a dice roll. Yeah. I mean, you're not. What is there? Probably like a thirty percent chance that Miles Turner turns into this transcendent kind of role player. I would say type. take the zero off the end of that. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's, <laughs> but but th- those are guys who are going to be lottery picks. We've talked solely about lottery picks. Um, before we get off of, of these uh, this current crop and we talk a little bit about the McDonald's All-Americans and then a little bit of NBA uh, to finish with, um, Ricky, I want to know the people who you think are under the radar. I'll throw two names at you who I see as the under-the-radar prospects because I think their fit in the NBA is better than it is in college basketball. Tell me what you think and then tell me about who your ra- under-the-radar prospects are. I would say that Trey Lyles and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson stick out to me. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, because with a little bit of shot tutelage, maybe he gets drafted by the Sixers and the, you know, he comes back home. He's a Philly guy. He went to Chester High, uh, where Jameer Nelson went, and uh, among other players. And, and maybe he comes home, gets the shot doctor, Herb McGee, in his corner and learns a little bit of that lefty touch because I love everything else about his game. I like the seven-foot wingspan on a six-foot-seven guy. I love his defensive power, how intense he plays on the rebounding end as well. Uh, I'm sorry, defensive end and how much power he puts into his rebounding. Um, so I look at him as a guy who could translate better to the NBA than he does in sort of that uh, where the college refs give him a quick foul and he has to temper his game. And then Trey Lyles is the other guy I really like. I just think he's playing out of position. He's a six foot eleven small forward right now with a seven four wingspan, hanging out and sharing minutes with like three other guys out of position. So I thought the Trey Lyles is a guy that uh, could potentially move really nicely into a stretch four type position in the NBA or even just a traditional four, uh, with with plenty of game to spare. Who really hasn't been exposed at all. So picking those flaws is is nitpicking. Um, who are the guys who you think are under the radar? I was going to say Lyles. I really like Lyles and. He's one of the guys who I hope comes back. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to happen, but if he comes back, like he's probably going to be the best player on Kentucky next year. He'll finally be playing in the proper position. Like you said, he's been playing out of position the whole year. I think he could be the first pick in 2016, sort of as crazy as wow. that sounds, because uh, the current crop of uh, incoming freshmen next year, the current high school seniors, they're just not as good, to be honest. Uh, that's pretty much a, a pretty big consensus among the scouting community. But they're not like bad, of course. They'll be quality players sure. in that, but they don't like jump out the way the towns of for uh, some of these other guys did. So Lyles, I would for sure take a flyer on if you're in like the mid first right now. Uh, Express has him going 19 to the Thunder. Like if Trey Lyles is sitting there pick. around that point in the draft, I feel like no brainer to pull the trigger on him. Definitely, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree there. Anybody else? Other guys I like, you know. I got to go to bat for Robert Upshaw a little bit. Like he was the guy. I don't know if you guys know too much about him. He was leading the league in, or leading the NCAA in blocks this year. Then he got kicked out of Washington for basically repeated offenses. I believe his his thing was marijuana. He liked to smoke weed. Yeah, it was. Uh, yes. And he couldn't stop himself from smoking weed, and it ended up getting him kicked out of Washington. 
he's also seven feet tall. He's really athletic. And, like, you know, I think people see that he got booted out of Washington. Well, it's not like, I mean, he wasn't doing something, like, super horrible, I feel like. so yeah, nothing malicious, yes. Yeah, nothing malicious, at least. Uh, so, Upshaw's a guy, like, I don't know, you look around the NBA and just shot blocking is always at such a premium. Member protection is always at such a premium. Robert Upshaw right now is going in the second round of the Draft Express mock. Like, give me Robert Upshaw to the bowl. They're picking, you know, <laughs> 22 or whatever. I would take a chance on that just because it's so you, you hard to find. You see a little bit of, seven. like, you know, a little Hassan Whiteside 2.0 almost uh, in him. Um, kind of that the maligned, this guy's a cancer in the clubhouse. He's, you know, been unruly. He's gotten in trouble. But when it all breaks down, can you protect the rim? Are you athletic enough to play in the league? Can you run the court? I appear from what I watched of him, I think that's a really good under the radar. That's a a, a, tr- a truly under the radar guy because that's he was kicked off side. his team a long time ago this year. Next white side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I'll say this: there's another guy who I think is going to go back for his senior year, who I think is going to be a good contributor in the NBA. That's Ron Baker from Wichita State. Do you think Ron Baker can be an early second round pick, late first round pick next year after his senior year, where he plays? He's a shooting guard. He's a good ball handler. He's a second guy to, to, to dribble the ball. Uh, I've been a big fan of Ron Baker for the last four years as Wichita has kind of come to power. Do you think he could play in the NBA? Yeah, I think Baker's an NBA player. It kills me because Ron Baker grew up with pictures of Kirk Heinrich on his wall. It's like, <laughs> come on, dude. Find a better role model than Kirk Heinrich. I just can't believe that uh, mentally, emotionally. You should follow a better basketball player than Kirk Heinrich. But I do think that Ron Baker is talented. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy who is going to have to probably play. Or he's going to have to defend point guards. I guess that's where he's going to yeah. make his. He's a two guard who's going to have to defend point guards. Uh, yeah, that's tough. But he's also a really good shooter, and he's he's a, he's athletic too. There's no doubt. Yeah. I think he can play at the NBA level. Uh, he's just sort of short. He's a six three two guard. So I don't know. I think that he can carve out a potential rotation spot in the NBA. He's a really good shooter. Yeah, I think he's an NBA player, no doubt. Uh, I don't know if he's a starter, but I think he could be a quality NBA player. I just needed that kind of like uh, that verification of of, that's what I thought watching him. And since you're the expert, that kind of helps me feel better about how I watch uh, watch the game. I'll give you a gold star. (laughs) Thanks. uh, Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, We can just stop the show right now. I'll (laughs) I'll put it on your your shirt. uh, I've got a lot of gold stars. Uh, Okay, so uh, real quickly, um, (laughs) I want to talk about McDonald's All-Americans quickly and then finish off with a little bit of Bulls talk because we have such big Chicago Bulls fan on the line here in Ricky O'Donnell. We might as well talk a little bit about the Bulls and Prater wrote a piece about Miritich earlier last week. Um, McDonald's All-American thoughts. Give me three guys who stood out. You don't have to go too in-depth, but of all these great high school basketball, soon-to-be freshmen in college, who are the three guys who have been like head and shoulders above everyone else? My favorite player, uh, the two days of practice that I watched is Brandon Ingram. He's a wing from hmm. the state of North Carolina. He's one of eight uncommitted players uh, at the game this year. He's basically deciding between North Carolina and Duke. And he essentially said earlier in the week that he would have committed to North Carolina if not for the NCAA uh, infractions hanging over that program. He probably would have committed sure. earlier. Um, this kid, like... People have thrown out the Kevin Durant comparison. It's obvious that you just roll your eyes when anyone gets compared to Kevin Durant because that's that's absurd to compare anyone to you know the reigning MVP. But you look at him and he is just built like Kevin Durant in the sense that his arms and his he's just so skinny. And his arms stretch out forever. He has extremely long legs. 
and he could not miss a shot yesterday. He hit like five three-pointers uh, during the scrimmage, and just no one can match up with him because he's so tall. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to finish through contact. There's a lot of questions with him. But his long What's his ball handling like? Like Durant is that such an elongated, you know, but tremendous ball handler still. Is does uh, Ingram have kind of that that second level of handle to make his own shot? Yeah, he he was definitely handling the ball uh, a lot. He was getting his own shot. I'm not comparing him to Durant. There's no way. But mm. I'm just saying that like he's. You can also say he's built like Austin Day. You know what I mean? Like it just really mm. depends how you're gonna say it. But he was really impressive to me. And uh, in this class, I think he might have the most long-term uh, upside of anyone okay. here just because he's got a straight-up great jumper. Uh, he's so big and so long. He's athletic. He's fast. He can handle the ball. So uh, that would be the guy who I think really impressed me. Anyone else? Um, Jalen Brown is the other guy. He's a wing from Georgia. He's also uncommitted. Jalen <laughs> Brown is just super athletic. He had one dunk yesterday where he took off like a step within the three-point line on fast break. And I thought he was going to coast in for a layup. And he just kept getting higher and higher and higher and just slammed it uh, super hard. So he's extremely athletic. He's a guy where if you're saying Andrew Wiggins has A-plus athleticism, uh, Jalen Brown's probably a guy who has A-athleticism. Like, he's not maybe as explosive as Wiggins, but he's a hell of an athlete. Uh, and he, he had a couple killer crossover moves today, too. He's also floppy with the ball. He's not a perfect prospect by any means. Uh, he's going to need to be, you know, just more in control. He's had a lot of turnovers the last two days in practice, but you can see when he gets it cooking that that dude uh, has just a ton of long-term potential. And when you're watching, you know, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, sure. it's not going to be perfect prospects whatsoever. Like, you have to sort of accept that coming into it. Uh, if you're looking long-term, he's a guy. And the last guy I want to uh, mention is Chick Diallo, who uh, he's – Another uncommitted guy, he's probably going to end up at St. John's. I don't know if you guys saw the news today, because why would you really care? But St. John's hired an <laughs> Iowa State assistant away, who is Diallo's point man. Diallo was you know, deciding between St. John's and Iowa State. Uh, St. John's just made a power play to like get his dude from Iowa State over to St. John's. I think that he's right. probably going to end up at St. John's now. He was the fastest player I saw all week, and he's a power forward. He's 6'9", he's 220. Uh, he was living in Africa a few years ago only. He doesn't really speak any English yet. Uh, but he has a chance to just be a ridiculous defender, a guy who can legitimately guard five positions in the NBA. He's so fast. Um, and he he's really unrefined offensively. But again, you know, he hasn't been playing the game that long. He's only 18 years old at this sure. point. So I just think that, like, if we're talking about an NBA where everyone's switching, where you want guys who uh, – are multifaceted defenders, guys who would fit into the Warriors scheme, let's say, or the Bucks scheme. He's a guy who I think could be unleashed in uh, a similar situation like that and could just be a really special defender. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great insight, dude. And I think you hit it on the head. These are prospects. These are not the finished product. And what you're seeing, you're projecting how that ends up matriculating into the game. They, they can be. Um, I'll say real quick, quick note, Steven Zimmerman, another undecided guy. I made Prey to watch his oh. mixtape today. He held, um, a gun, he held me a gunpoint. I, uh, I was uh, coaching AAU at a, in a tournament in, in Las Vegas when he was a 13-year-old, and uh, he was ridiculous at 13 years old. And he was like a baby giraffe, which is basically how he's built right now is like a baby giraffe. I've project that guy putting on 65 pounds of muscle and being kind of a monster, like a left-handed, equally athletic, super long plumly brother from another mother. Um, Does it seem to you, to any of you guys that they're more lefties 
like more lefty prospects. This is particularly yeah. There's a this lot. This is of like a golden there. age for lefties. Well, it's funny. There's another Jalen Brunson, uh, uh, Rick Brunson's son, going to Villanova. He's another left-handed point guard. He's a really good player too. Him and Isaiah Briscoe, uh, they're two uh, the two best point guard prospects. Because okay, you also have Ben Simmons, yeah, have Russell. Simmons. We wouldn't even mention lefty. Ben Simmons and Ru- uh, Russell and uh, Justice Winslow. Yeah, and yeah. Luke Kennard, the dude who won the three point contest, going to Duke. He broke LeBron's uh, high school scoring record in the state of Ohio. Okay, enough, enough. Uh, high school, college, we need to end real quick with a little bit of Bulls talk, a little bit of the Chicago Bulls. Ricky, you are the biggest Bulls fan on this podcast currently, as we have a Wizards sad fan and a Sixers super fan here. Um, what's, the, what's the Bulls ceiling? Can they still win the Eastern Conference? Do I think they can win the Eastern Conference? Yes. Uh, yeah, so they, are they an Eastern Conference? Uh, if you, not like uh, you're putting all your money in the world on it, but do they have the uh, ability to win the East as, as currently comprised? You know, it's all going to come down to matchups in the playoffs, of course. I just—I know the Hawks haven't been playing great since that long winning streak, but like, I don't even see how you can have Gasol on the floor against the Hawks. And Thibodeau's so inflexible that like, I just don't see him going from playing Powell 38 minutes a game to like playing Powell 15 minutes a game. And I really think that that's what it would probably take uh, to win the series against Atlanta. I do think the Bulls match up pretty well with the Cavs, potentially, but... Listen, the same, it's the same thing with the Bulls every year. Like You think they have a high upside. You think they have a high ceiling, I should say. Uh, and then they're hurt the entire year. It seems like they're always broken down by the time the playoffs hit. Noel was terrific last year. He gets to the playoffs. Well, you know, he's playing on a torn knee ligament because he was averaging more minutes than any starting center in the NBA last year throughout the season. Uh, and, you know, there was just simple adjustments the Wizards made to defending Noah, and they totally neutralized him in that series last year. Um, it's tough to say with the Bulls because I do think that they have, you know, Miritich just gives them such a potential for different looks. Uh, they also have to leverage that to their advantage and to, you know, find the maximum, uh, the, you know, the, the, their best lineup and put that on the floor together. I don't think that's something they've been great at the entire season. Uh, I think that if Taj Gibson didn't get hurt, if Jimmy Butler didn't get hurt, Miritich is still probably playing 11 minutes a game when he's probably the yeah. I want to say the best player on the team. Maybe that's a blessing in disguise. That's a great segue, Ricky, to tee off. Uh, Pray, did you write an article last week about Miritich and Man, his fit I on the Bulls? I love Miritich. I, he's just fun. Like I feel like people look at him and they see this, like, he looks like kind of this big grizzly beard and a lumberjack type of mentality. He looks like, like uh, what's his guy on Parks and Rec? Uh, Ron Swanson, like, dribbling all the way at him. And... <laughs> Yeah, he does, throws in all these stupid pump fakes, and it just zips right by them. It's like he doesn't look like a basketball player. Like, is that like rude to say? Like, I don't think he looks like a pro. And then, and yet he's awesome. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm I'm buying in on this Bulls team. I I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I think I think that they're gonna have an easy path in the first round. They're probably gonna get Milwaukee, and they they'll beat Milwaukee, and then they get Cleveland. I mean. You're, if they play Atlanta, I mean, I think the spread out factor might hurt, but Cleveland-Chicago is going to be a real toss-up, especially now. I almost think that some of these injuries maybe become blessings in disguise because those guys are not worn down like they were the past years. You know, maybe, yeah, too many options and they play the wrong options, but I think that 
That's a team I don't want to play. That's a scary, scary team with all that they can do. Well, so let me ask – I'll ask both of you guys this then. Um, assuming they're playing Cleveland in the second round, and then we'll, we'll do the Atlanta scenario. But assuming they're playing Cleveland, what's the best five against Cleveland? Because I'm pretty sure there's a different best five for the Bulls against Atlanta. Prater, you can go first here. I'll let you handle the Cleveland. Ricky, you'll do the Atlanta. Prater, what's the best lineup for the Bulls to combat what Cleveland's going to do? I think the best five for both that matchups is the same. I really do. And that, and that is? And I think the best five that they've got is uh, Rose, Butler, Snell, Miritich, and Noah. Interesting. I think that's their best five. Interesting. Ricky, you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Huh. Wow. And, I thought you guys would both matchups, right? Yeah, I, I, I really do agree with that. And, you know, one of the things is, like, at least locally, there's always so much, like, drama around D-Rose and all this. But, like, the Bulls need D-Rose desperately not to be like MVP Derrick Rose or whatever, but like to be better than Aaron Brooks. You look at Aaron Brooks's <laughs> split and you know the Bulls are playing here, the Bulls are paying him the minimum. Uh he's had some big games this year and everyone says, Oh, Thibodeau's the point guard whisperer, but in February, Aaron Brooks shot twenty seven percent. Uh you know the <laughs> he's just he can't defend anyone. Uh he takes bad shots. He, he's a fine bench player, but like a lot of the Bulls playoff ceiling comes down to the fact that like Derrick Rose doesn't need to be 2011 Derrick Rose. He also needs to be the best point guard on the team. Uh, and he needs to be like, you know, able to play and play well, play for, you know, 33 minutes at least a game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I agree that I think the Bulls, they could do it. They, they have the pieces there in place that I think, you know, they have enough sort of depth and now maybe enough shooting with the uh, sort of evolution of Tony Snell recently that you could see them doing it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit snake-bitten as a Bulls fan at this point. I'm a little bit wired to be pessimistic uh, when they get to the playoffs. We'll see. Uh, they definitely have a lot of talent this year, and hopefully they can put it all together. Well, if, the, if it makes you feel any better, um, the Wizards already lost to Toronto in five games, according to Mike. So yeah. in terms of pessimism, you sound very optimistic um, compared to what I'm used to hearing uh, uh, about, the, the, about you playoff-worthy basketball fans as I bull- sit here and, and, and follow the draft and incredibly close for the Sixers. The Bulls may be snaked, but the Wizards have already been swallowed. Ooh, that's snake. good. That's very good. Well, that, uh, that's five. probably the best way we could possibly end with, with Mike and some literary reference of some sort there. Um <laughs> We um, all the time we have for this week, I, Ricky. I really, really appreciate you joining the call, man. We're gonna have to have you on uh, around the draft as well. Uh, this was uh, definitely informative, and you seem to know more about uh, the college and basketball and high school basketball landscape than anybody I know. So thanks for joining, bud. Yep. Thanks. A few shout outs here. Nick Hoffenberg, our technical producer. Thanks as always, man. We got myself, Ben Epstein, Mike Prada next to me. Um, Again, big thanks to Ricky O'Donnell for making that work. Read his stuff on SB Nation. He's the College Hoops editor and NBA contributor for us. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Search for Limited Upside. Follow us on SoundCloud. Join the conversation on SBNation.com backslash MBA. And on Twitter, Mike, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at uh, Mike Prada SBN. And I did not do a bold prediction yet. What's that bold prediction Uh, you have? bold prediction is uh, in a game on April 8th between... Memphis and New Orleans. Nicolaitis will come in for 15 minutes and score five points and two assists. In the game. That's my prediction. 
And, How uh, did I do last week, by the way? What did I do last week? I don't even know, but we'll look that up and we will let everyone know about Mike's bold predictions uh, on the next pod. Stay tuned. Again, this is a limited upside podcast on SBNation.com. Oh